Let's pray together. Father, we again are grateful for the relationship with relationship we have with you. We want to draw near to you. And we know as we draw near to you, you draw near to us as we read James. As we look at a portion of scripture from First Peter, we want to be living in dependency upon you as we live in our world today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So we consider God's word this morning. I want you in your own mind to respond to some questions. Have you as an individual faced unjust treatment in recent years due to your seeking to be faithful to God? Have you as an individual faced unjust treatment in recent years due to seeking to be faithful to God? Have we as a church faced unjust treatment in the last five to ten years as we seek to walk in faithfulness to God? How should we respond when treated unjustly for our faith, our obedience to God? Who cares for believers when they face unjust treatment due to their faith? Let's read together First Peter Chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. Keep in mind the people to whom Peter is writing, they were undergoing persecution, not from the government, but from family, neighbors, and so on. Their identity is emphasized, you know, who they are in Christ. He mentions a number of items, but mentioned just a few. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. He writes to citizens, he writes to slaves. He writes to wives, he writes to husbands, he writes to believers in general. But in the particular passage, he is talking to slaves, and I think also tied in with believers in general as he talks about suffering. 1 Peter 2 and verse 18. Slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they heard their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Again, he's writing to slaves, encouraging them to submit to their masters with all respect. Not only to one, a master who may be good and considerate, but also to those who would be harsh. And a willingness to bear up suffering 
as a result of walking with God. And keep in mind that he is writing to them, their, their servants, or their slaves, I should say, but they're servants of God. And he's speaking to them as servants of God, and he exhorts them how to respond. And in verse 21, he says, To this you were called, and again, speaking to slaves, but as you look at the overflow of the context, I think the example of Christ <clears throat> involves not only slaves, but the suffering that the body at large was going through. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. And keep in mind that unjust suffering is being spoken of in the passage. And they're suffering for doing good. And he says, you're called to that. Christ's suffering was because of his obedience to the Father. It was not because of his own sin. He became our substitute. Christ's response in suffering is an example to be followed by believers. Christ's suffering was due to his obedience to his Father, and his obedience involved no sin and no deceit. Christ did not defend himself, lash out when he suffered for doing good. Doing good, not good food. Doing good and obeying his Father. Notice what he says in verse 21. To this you were called, he's dealing with suffering because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. An example can be illustrated with a pattern. You take this pattern, it's a uh, sleeve. You lay it on the material. Am I correct, Sharon? You cut around the pattern, so that the material you cut is the same size as the pattern. Peter is saying, Christ is the example. Christ is the pattern, if you please, and how to respond to this you recalled, to suffering you recalled, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 53. He committed no sin. Sin is the idea of missing the mark, missing the point of life that is a relationship with God and contentment and obedience to him. Jesus, he came to this earth. He lived his life, went to the cross, rose from the dead and ascended to his father. Committed no sin. But in the context, it's dealing with suffering. And no deceit was found in his mouth. The idea, idea of deceit is to bait, to set a trap. The motivation is to corner someone. Jesus many times had people come to him and they talked to him. And they asked him questions with an intent to bait him. You know, they were deceitful. They really weren't asking Questions out of a genuine desire to know. They were trying to bait Jesus. But Jesus didn't do that. Never a deceitful word. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults, 
when they reviled him, when they railed against him. And the tense communicates that Jesus did nothing to deserve being reviled. They hurled their insults. He did not retaliate. He didn't reproach in return. He didn't fight. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. We'll begin with verse 27. Matthew 27 and verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus in the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe in him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off his robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to be crucified. Skipping down to verse 38. Two robbers were crucified with him, one in his right and one in his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at them, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe on him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants or wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. The same way the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Jesus is on the cross unjustly, but there by the will of his father. And when they hurled insults, he did not fight fire with gas. He didn't retaliate. Back to 1 Peter, we find Peter goes on. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The idea of entrust is to commit, to yield up. Jesus knew who he was, God's son. His father told him that at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration. He knew he was obedient. He knew his obedience meant suffering. He knew his father was trustworthy. He had no demands. Father, I'm being reviled. I'm being spoken against. But I entrust myself to you. Because you're the one who judges 
justly. Judges in means to separate, to make a distinction between, to call to an account. He turned to God and let God do the judging. Christ knew those who insulted him would be judged. The judging was his father's business, not his. The slaves were to focus on their responsibility to obey, to submit. It's impossible to move in two directions at the same time. If one attempts to go in the direction of north, you can't be going south. If you go south, you can't go north. You can't resist and retaliate when persecuted unjustly and at the same time entrust yourself to God. Jesus entrusted himself to his Father who judges justly, who sees correctly and then responds correctly. God knew the words, the actions, the motives, the attitudes of the people that were judging Jesus. Jesus thought he'll take care of them. And as he writes to people who are going through persecution, slaves and otherwise, entrust yourself to God. He sees all. You can't hide from him. Those who are treating you unjustly, let God deal with them. He goes on in verse 24. He himself bore our sins. He was the one who was sacrificed. He was the one who sustained the burden. He himself bore our sins. Remember, sins is missing the mark of life, missing a relationship with God, falling short of God's standard. He himself bore our sins, the sins of the hearers of First Peter, but also the sins of our own. He himself bore our sins in his body under the tree. For what purpose? So that we might die to sins. His body, in his body, he bore our sins so that we might die. And the idea of die is to be disconnected from. You think about, if you ever read Pilgrim's Progress, Christian is carrying this heavy pack on his back. And he comes to the cross and the pack rolls down the hill. His sin was dealt with at the cross. To illustrate disconnected, I was thinking about using the backpack, but I wasn't ready to destroy someone's backpack, you know, and cut the uh, straps. When Christ died, here's what happened. Let the bucket be your sins. He bore your sins so that you might die to sins. Disconnected. That is disconnected 
from sins. He goes on, so that you might die to sins and live. And the idea of life is to be possessed of vitality, to have the means of assistance, to have the means of life. Separated from sin, cut off, sin has been dealt with, so that you might live. You might be in a relationship with God. You might live in victory, that is, live, he says, in righteousness. Fair and equitable dealing in relationships. He himself bore our sins in the tree so that we might die and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. To be healed is to restore from a state of sin and condemnation in this context. This is a spiritual, not physical healing. Because he just talked about Christ bearing our sins on the cross, on the tree. By his wounds you have been healed. It's through the cross, which we'll remember in communion in a little while, that sin has been dealt with, been healed, brought into relationship with God. And notice what he goes on to say. For you were like sheep going astray. You were wondering, you were seduced, you were deluded. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Shepherd. We find Jesus talks about that in John chapter 10. We want to turn there. And keep in mind he is writing to people who are going through persecution, who are being rejected, who are being spoken against because of their faith in Christ. Especially the slaves. But he says the example of Christ is the one you are to follow. And even though you're going through this persecution, even though you're facing rejection, Christ is the shepherd of your souls. In John chapter 10, we'll begin reading with verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. The idea of a shepherd leading sheep. Sheep cannot be driven. They're led. Sheep will follow a shepherd. Jesus goes on to say, in verse 7, Therefore Jesus said again, I, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in. And go out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Peter is writing to those who are going through persecution, who are going through difficulty because of their faith in Christ. He says, follow the example of Christ and how you suffer. And it's because of Christ that you return to your shepherd. Christ. The text of John clearly says that Christ, Christ in speaking, says, I laid down my life for the sheep. I gave my life. So when Peter says, Christ bore our our sins, the sins of Peter's hearers. And then he says, you return to the shepherd of your souls. So Chip comes home tomorrow. And Rick comes home, and Neil comes home, and they all three say to their wives, today was a tough day. I was made fun of just because I'm obeying God. I was poked fun at. I was reviled. I was criticized. But that's okay. Because Jesus is my shepherd. Peter says, you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The idea of overseers to watch after. The idea of overseers to protect, to provide the care that is needed. You return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Think about the persecuted church today where believers are being strongly persecuted and they're going through difficulties. Some of them are losing their lives and they remember the example of Christ and they remember that Christ is their shepherd, their overseer of their souls, their inner person. So you go through difficulty, you go through trials. Shepherd, an overseer, of your souls. Christ is central in the passage. Follow his 
example. The Christology of 1 Peter is a Christology of suffering. By focusing on 1 Peter, we see the intimate relationship between Christ and the Christian life. The past suffering of Christ is the present condition of believers, while the present glory of Christ is the future glory of those who follow in the steps of of the suffering Christ. The past suffering of Christ is the present condition of believers. While the present glory of Christ is the future glory of those who follow in the steps of the suffering Savior. He's writing to encourage people being persecuted. Christ was persecuted. That's where you are now. Christ is in glory. There's a future glory for you. I would ask a simple question. Have you come to faith in Christ? Are you in Christ? And if persecution comes in your life, as it did to Peter's hearers, are you committed to following Christ's example? Entrusting your life to God and realizing that Christ is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Living like Christ, we should expect to suffer in our obedience to Christ. If it happens, don't be surprised. It may not be your death, it may be criticism, maybe some comments against you. Don't be shocked. Our suffering should not be due to our own sin or disobedience to the Lord. It should be as a result of obedience to the Lord. And as you look at Christ and what he went through, speech was a primary way that Christ showed obedience. When he was reviled, he did not return that. When he was threatened, he did not return that. Ever stop to think about how often when we're criticized, we want to lash back? I'm willing to conclude that every one of us have been in at least one verbal battle in our time on this earth. Because someone reviled us, and what did we do? We came right back at them real quick. Jesus didn't do that. He entrusted himself to his father. So many times, the battle of persecution involves words. Unjust suffering does not mean one did wrong, nor does it mean it is a consequence of sin. It's a reality in our world. Part of walking with God. We are dead to sin. And can live for righteousness. This is not a possibility. But a reality. Christ is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Our well-being is dependent upon Christ. Not our ability or our strength. 
Think about the questions I ask at the beginning of my sermon. That is, on just suffering, individually, as a church. How are we to respond? No sin or deceit. Do not retaliate. No threats. Entrust ourselves to God who judges justly. Realize and live in the fact that sin's power has been broken. Rest in Christ, who is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. As we partake of communion this morning, we're reflecting on Christ, his sacrifice for us, bearing sin, a once-for-all sacrifice. He became a substitute, a substitute that was once and for all completed. But we're also thinking to the present, where we are kept clean by the blood of Christ. He's our lawyer when we sin. He pleads our case. He's our strength and our power to obey day by day. And he's the one who wants us to live in harmony within the body. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, examine yourself when you partake of communion to make sure you're in right relationship with other believers. But we're also reflecting in the future when we're with the Lord, a new heaven at a new earth. Past, present, future. Ask the men to come forward, please.